course, you brought me on for the gay movie figures. <laughs> there's a there's a number of those coming up on the show, nice. so we may have to rebrand. <laughs> <laughs> this is Projecting Film, the podcast where movies meet. Hosted by Chris Maynard and myself, Michael Denniston. But first, Dave of Pop Culture Case Study watches the trailer for Nobody's Watching. to set it up and then i'll tell you to play it and we'll get your okay. reaction we'll be like the youtube kids here apparently this is what they do Ugh, great that they watch videos Jesus. of people eating like i don't know six bags of doritos and see if they get sick i don't, I don't that's what i'm trying to appeal to <laughs> with this podcast obviously <laughs> <laughs> yeah of all their foreign films i'm sure they'll really flock to this <laughs> i believe this is an argentinian film as well so definitely gonna nice. this is what the kids are talking about nice all right, so joining me for uh, really this the, the inaugural recording, I think this will be episode two. We haven't really decided yet because you know we're excellent at this podcasting business. Is uh, my buddy David Hart of Pop Culture Case Study and another new show. Uh, I guess he is my Chewbacca. I'm I'm Han Solo on this grand gesture with podcast. That. That's fine. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it makes you really tall as Chewbacca, and you're the, you're the muscle. for the first time in my life. There you yeah, go. This is worse for me. <laughs> So that's, you know, neither here nor there. Uh, Dave being height challenged uh, doesn't affect him in podcasting because he just sit at a desk with a microphone. That's and right. That's, that's what he's here to do for uh, projecting film. Very briefly, we're doing something a little bit different with our, our guests in that it's a sort of a blink and you miss it type thing. Dave, you are here to react to the trailers for these films, these independent films. Uh, that we assume most people will not be aware of just yet. This is not independent right. like, uh, you know, George Clooney's Suburbicon, which uh, <laughs> <laughs> may be an adult drama, but it's certainly not an independent film. Uh, nobody's watching. So I don't know if you know anything about this. Nope. Right, this is good. the first time I've ever heard of it. So. Great. So th this podcast is off to a, a really promising start. So because you you are a film podcaster that <laughs> reads a lot of the coverage and you have no idea what this is. Perfect. All right. Yep. I, I have high hopes for this this show. All right. So I'm gonna have you watch the trailer and then give me your best estimation about what this film is like, what it reminds you of, and then you can promote your uh, silly podcast endeavors. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Are you suitably impressed with our, uh, our yeah, very, early subject very matter we've got for this, this movie podcast? Yeah, look at you. <laughs> well done. <laughs> All right, so you said you, you know nothing about this. Uh, you know, what does this one minute and one second trailer uh, do for you? I mean, it's kind of it's hard to tell kind of where the movie is going. Like you have kind of this uh, this overlay of this phone call, this kind of repetitive phone call. Like I hope your, you know, your New York experience is great for you, and you're not really sure if this 
this man who's clearly in like if not like a gay relationship like at least a gay sexual relationship if the person on the other end of the phone knows that and the fact that the movie's called nobody's watching gives me the sense that like maybe this character is finally free to be the person he is now that he's you know left left his home country and come to come to the big apple so i think there is there's a lot of material there not only uh not only for this gay relationship but just this person's process of coming out and how difficult that that can be and how freeing it can be to finally be able to be yourself so it's definitely something i'd want to check out it's interesting because you you took that uh in a far more uh promising way than i i guess i would have now to be fair i didn't actually watch the trailer before i watched the film i just i i it was suggested um by me like hey uh chris have you heard of this film i, I just like the premise because it was really sold on this idea of uh being anonymous and sort of as you're saying sort mm. of a fresh start like you know where where you are right. unknown you have no attachments i i was seeing that as as something that could be possibly stifling to this man when you know that sort of wish fulfillment mm. uh backfires in a way so that is an uh, interesting take now having seen the trailer and i i looked for i think there are like three different ones three different cuts but they're all pretty similar all pretty short uh, there is one that is far more gay that is is promising um, a steamier <laughs> affair, and I, I felt like that. Right. Having seen the film now, that is greatly misleading, and some of those people uh, may be very disappointed. Mm, I would be if I if I bastards. saw the uh, the De Palma version. <laughs> well, now I don't want to see it. Like, <laughs> no, no, there's not interested. <laughs> there's there there's gay sex, but uh, yeah, if you if you're curious, there I think it's trailer number two that pretty much focuses just on that. We're gonna play a little bit of a game later on having seen the film where my co-host Chris and I present at least I pick one film and he picks another that we think could sell this new release totally to audiences, something they've seen prior that maybe will, will pitch what this movie is. Uh, this is totally unfair to you based on the trailer, but do you have uh, a film that comes to mind that you're like, it, you know, it kind of feels like that movie that I've seen previously. Hmm. That's a really good question. Cause it's, I think it's different depending on you're looking at like just the style of the movie. Cause if I watching the style of the movie, it kind of reminded me of shame. Um, the, the Michael smart Fassbender man. film, a very smart man. Oh, look at that. <laughs> we have yes. someone later on the show that, who, that. who may actually drop that reference. So mm, very nice. wise, sir. And I was also thinking of, you know, you mentioned kind of starting over. So I was, mentioned, I was thinking uh, Alice doesn't live here anymore because that's a story about starting over, like moving on from, I think in the case of that movie, her husband dies and she's moving on and trying to start a new life. And it appears something similar is going on here. I also really liked your. Uh, I didn't really pick up on it uh, the the use of the answering machine because that reminded me when you said that uh, like one of my favorite replacement song on that and it's this one sided conversation that's being had and mm-hmm. I, I think it's actually a very smart move for a trailer uh, that is going to be yeah. about a guy feeling very solitary in this new city and I, I think you kind of have to go with that stylized thing as I said it's not very long content wise so it's probably just enough to be well, like to make you curious about it uh, it certainly would play okay to defenders fans with those stupid new the netflix thing where it like it starts a video if you hover too long yeah uh, which yep. is some sort of new game i play with netflix now where i'm just like flying through <laughs> How I, long, I, I don't right? want it to start i don't want anything to start so uh what i'm saying is nobody's watching really gonna depend on netflix god help us all <laughs> yeah i'm sure i'm sure they'll get lots lots of clicks 
from Nobody's Watching. Also, kind of a bad title if you're talking about a movie, Nobody's Watching. That might not be the best way to go. Maybe something's lost in translation. Like, because that's literally going to be true. Nobody is going to be watching. You know, th- this comes out a week later than our, our episode launch, and we really wanted to launch with this because we thought it was perfect because nobody's watching, nobody's listening to us either. So it's Nobody's listening. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> Dave, you, you come from a more uh, popular show, and I can say that safely because as we're recording this, this podcast doesn't even it doesn't exist. exist. <laughs> yes. So. Finally, I'm more popular than something. God damn. So uh, why don't you why don't you direct people uh, where they can interact with you uh, and really roast you for your horrible take on a 60 second trailer? 61. Come on, 61. That seconds. one second probably puts you over the top to get you to shame, to get yes. you the correct answer. And also, of course, listen to Pop Culture Case Study. Yeah, if you'd like to listen to Pop Culture Case Study, we have a show where we kind of take a look at movies and psychology and where they intersect. We have two episodes per week, and that's Mike's fault. Uh, we have a older film and then a new release uh, that ties to that older film. So if you'd like to check that out, I would love to have you as a listener. You can find Pop Culture Case Study on pretty much everywhere you listen to podcasts. And you can follow me and bother me on Twitter at PC Case Study. I think that's such a good way to start. It actually makes sense for what we're doing. We have this uh, former, <laughs> I guess, little self-aggrandizing here. You have this former uh, soap opera star moving to New York to try to make it. Um, or I guess this is sort of the inverse of it, where we had um, what little bit little success we had, and we said, "Oh well, fuck that. Let's just get rid of that and you know try something a lot smaller." I think that's why this movie appealed to me so much. Um, I, I like movies about self destruction quite a bit, but not. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty sick about the uh, I guess the normal forms of it. You know, the the, uh, the alcoholism, uh, the, the drug abuse. Those those films. Uh, bore me, but basically someone just making choices, uh, like you just said, where you do have a, you have a good looking guy here who is having some degree of success and probably from where he's coming from within their entertainment industry, it's alluded to, he's a big star. Like he's going to get stopped mm-hmm. on the street all the time. So for most people you would stop there or you would still hold on to that tree branch while you're trying to grab for maybe something bigger in New York or LA. Uh, this guy is a, a nanny uh, working in a restaurant. Uh, yeah. he, I mean, he's, he's just jumping all in. And even the people who are trying to get him to come back, like his fellow actors and peers. Um, and uh, this, this guy that we'll find out he had a relationship with. Uh, he is, he's, he's good with just trying to, to go for the, the big swing in New York. But um, it, I will say it was not exactly what I thought it was. So, you know, since we're, we're doing this show, uh, I'm assuming the people that uh, follow us are, are used to uh, seeing goofy imagery of horses uh, riding tanks um, and not so much this, this film we're going to be talking about. The, the IMDb summary is a little bit misleading, I think, on what I had told you previously that I was excited about, which is uh, here's what it says. It's a film about the struggle of self-imposed exile, how the pleasures of <laughs> anonymity and freedom contrast with the pain of loneliness and loss that shapes immigrant experience. And yeah, that, that's not the movie I saw. I actually went back and double checked the IMDb because I thought I had been looking at the wrong one after I watched this movie. I thought I'd gotten the wrong link. If you had listened to our previous podcast, you would understand why we have so 
little confidence in the, uh, in our research skills that, yeah, we, we would be talking about the wrong thing, would have watched the wrong thing. <laughs> I really did think it was going to focus more on this guy being anonymous and uh, being some sort of drifter. But uh, what did surprise me is that he does have so many connections that either come into his existence in New York or these people that he has known from his previous life that he's crashing with. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, that's a little bit, uh, I don't know, film snob sort of description. I don't know. It's a little bit, I, I think it makes the, the film seem more, I don't know, self-serious than what it is. I think it takes some shots at the guy a little bit. Like, I, I don't oh, think yeah. he's, I don't think he's looked at as some sort of romantic uh, hero with with wanderlust here who's just just going to go from place to place like he he definitely has very particular professional goals in mind and i the worst thing you can say about him is is what you were alluding to is uh just sort of the pride factor there where he feels that he's been uh betrayed or um not given his his due and so he's willing to go lower and i don't want to say lower as far as what he's doing um is, is not of value but considering that he was a celebrated actor in his, his home country. And now he's just doing odd jobs. Um, that, that shows you that there's definitely pride there as far as him wanting to go back to that lifestyle. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. But I think that the, this description, what they're referring to in anonymity, the way they're, they're not talking about that being the anonymity of fame. I'm expecting this guy wandering the streets alone, um, where it's really about just, he's not known in, in his celebrity anymore. And so he has a good, actually a stronger support network than a lot of people would have, um, you know, kind of just going from the immigrant experience. Um, I think the, that part of it is touched on later when he finds the nannies in the park and he kind of has that connection that speaks a little bit more about what the immigrant experience is like. There's a really funny line there about, which was, um, you have a lot of, I think all of them actually are, are Spanish speaking at least in yeah. the introductory scene and it, it's background dialogue. It's while he's, he's dealing with a, a situation personal to him. I think at that point he's, uh, um, being, uh, wooed to be hired as like a full-time nanny for a woman who's looking for uh, a male presence, uh, for her son, uh, someone mm -hmm. that can, uh, in particular soccer, she's seen him in the park playing soccer, but in the background, uh, you, you hear one of the, the women saying that, you know, when she first, uh, came to the city and, and started doing this job, became a nanny for this family. Uh, she was, uh, learning English to be better <laughs> at this job. And now the family just wants her to speak Spanish to their kids, basically having her, uh, serve a dual purpose as nanny and teacher to them so that they can learn another a foreign language well then they go a little bit further with it with they all want to learn chinese now so it's difficult for hispanic nannies to even the ones that wanted to you know teach spanish to their children they're saying well they all need to learn mandarin now um so they're becoming antiquated and not as sought after at this point and a male nanny that speaks chinese i guess that would just be pretty much in the highest demand in new york city right now I'm going to give up this podcasting uh, gig just just uh, if I could stay in children, I guess that would be the hump that I'd have to get over. But if I could be if I could be at a distance there, I, I would I'd definitely use the, the child to to perform skills as a thief. That would be something I'd be into. <laughs> now, see, there, there's you know sort of the bookending of his relationship with that child. There's a scene early in the film where you see him feeding the child, and he's holding the bottle, and that was. Just one of those things that, as a dad, it takes you back because it's such a short window of time that you know a kid is you know bottle fed, and that was something just uh, just the personal thing. My son being almost two now, he's past that point obviously, and you know almost 
made me nostalgic to the point I was almost crying kind of thing, just getting emotional over that. And then to see him using this child to steal later in the film, it was just this kind of heartbreaking in a way, but to have a lead that has that kind of arc within this, that you never drift away from him and you're actually still compelled by him and they allow him to be, have that much range in the film, I think is really unique and something special. And I think that he's a, really good actor to pull that off and gives a really strong performance here. I mean, I think it's important that he's unknown to us. I mean, they're certainly playing on the fact that he's, he's unknown uh, in this industry and he has to, he has to change his appearance in some way. He has to, he can still have an accent, but it can't be as strong. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, he has to like, it's like lose. uh, It's some weird spinal tap number on the accent that he's got to hit (laughs) and he's going to 11 to them. He's got to dial it back. Um, I, I thought that they, they achieved a, a really great balance here because, you know, as I mentioned, where he is a, a celebrity uh, in his country and he's coming to the, the States to, to further that, to try to be uh, – and not just be a celebrity. I like that this character wasn't really – you know, at this point in his life, he's not trying to achieve the equal amount of fame that he had in Buenos Aires, but he's basically just trying to be a working actor. He would just like – you know, just – he wants to work an independent film. So I think he's someone that's of value – but you know, I think these type of films can run the risk where, especially with that knowledge where we know that he has something to go back to, uh, I think the audiences can get angry with the character if they get too desperate in their hustle. Yeah. Like initially, you may find some of that charming and amusing because he displays a great work ethic. Uh, but there is going to reach <laughs> a point where you're saying, yeah, you have a great work ethic to – kind of not lie and cheat, but he's definitely leaving some things out. Like when a friend comes to stay with him, you know, he's not, he's, he's doing that white lie thing where he's posing like this is his apartment when really he's just, he's just house sitting basically. And he's, he's stealing, uh, items, uh, with their knowledge saying, can I basically use this for my place to play this part of having a great sort of bohemian lifestyle with a surfboard. <laughs> and there is that, there's going to be that breaking point, I think with a, uh, you know, a general audience member saying like, okay, dude, like, you know, if you do have something to fall back on, like there's going to be that point. And I guess for you, was it the, the sequence where he's actually just stealing, like being a nanny with a, with a baby strapped to his chest? Was that the point? No, it, it wasn't a desperation. Cause I think you could, they, they, explain exactly what's going on at the end of that scene, but you could see what was going on also. Um, it was really clear with how frantic he was being and he, that he was just in this place where he was spiraling and he was just wanted to, his pride was getting in the way of him going back home and he was trying to force a situation that he would be sent home. And so you could see that. And I thought it was going to go down that path where he would eventually just get deported. Um, and I'm kind of glad that it was just called out that somebody was close enough to him to recognize that in him. And so I could see how that scene could be a little bit off putting to people, but I actually liked that he did have a support system and he still did it on his own. And I think it makes the resolution of the film a lot stronger. Yeah. I, I was glad that, that it didn't turn into, cause of the, the film I was initially thinking of at least stylistically was shame as far yeah. as the, we're just sort of knowing this guy, but not really knowing him totally. Cause uh, we're not seeing him from his previous element. And there's, there's definitely some family melodrama in that film. I would say this film is not uh, thankfully as melodramatic as that one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, not, not, not swinging for the, the Oscar fences there. So that, that would not actually be my, my selection for uh, the, the format of this show. So getting to that, I'm, I'm interested in what your pick is. And I guess, uh, since this is, our, this is actually our first time doing this, I, I don't know if this will be the first episode, even though it's got the the perfect title for it. But uh, the the only thing, the only sort of rule we've established is we 
we know which year our film selections are coming from. So we we are going to hear uh, this for the first time to each other as far as what film uh, we, we think this this could best be represented by by something I'm assuming is going to be a little bit more known than nobody's watching at this point at this this recording date of August twentieth, two thousand seventeen. But I don't know. You may surprise me. You may pull something. Well, uh, I, no, really I, deep did, out. I did. I didn't go too deep, but I went with something that a little bit deeper than it probably should have been. Um, something that I think was mishandled in its release. Something that should have been really well known, but something that was critically acclaimed and just kind of came and went, disappeared from people's memory. Uh, and it was 2014, and I went with Top 5. Okay. Bill Murray? Bill Murray's like, you know, perhaps top three funniest human beings to ever walk the earth. And the guy you most likely want to hang out with and drop his name, like, yeah, I know Bill Murray. I was just talking <laughs> to Bill Murray the other day. Charlie Chaplin? Charlie Chaplin, he started this He's the KRS-One of comedy. He's the, <laughs> he's the Grandmaster Flash of ha-ha. I think people actually read Capote. It's one of my tests to people. I say that, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I really I really love Breakfast at Tiffany's. And I'm like, you haven't read Truman Capote. Stop. Richard Pryor is the most honest human being. Even Jesus didn't tell his followers everything. Like, Rich, Eddie Murphy. something out. I once saw Murphy and Michael Jackson within two months of each other and Eddie was better. Love in the time of Calum. Yes, yes, he yes. He says, too much love is as bad for this as no love at all. That kind of broke my heart. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to f*** somebody on a pedestal. I was kind of thinking about um, when I was first thinking of the movies to pair this with, I didn't want to go overly serious with it because this movie actually has a lot more, I don't know, lightness to it than I was expecting. And it has, you know, more humanity and it's not overly self-serious like you were mentioning before so i kind of wanted something that would play into that something that was equally dramatic and funny i think that top five definitely falls more on the comedy side of things but there's some thematically some things that really pair up here with the idea of celebrity and fame and trying to redefine yourself um and getting back to the things that are actually important to you and kind of finding that voice again because with Chris Rock in that film, he's completely lost his way where he's, you know, engaged to marry this woman who doesn't think that anything exists unless it's being videotaped at the time for her reality show. And that he's had these, uh, oh, I Handy the Bear, was that at the movies that he did? I think so. They were bear Hammy? movies. Hammy Hammy. Something like that. I think Hammy. I think it was, yeah, I think it was a bit more on the nose as far as okay. what his previous, <laughs> you know, comedic stylings were. Yeah, but he, he is trying to, he's trying to pull a, uh, I don't know if you'd call it Jim Carrey, but he's uh, he's because I don't think Jim Carrey ever did uh, their the very Chris Rock version of a slave revolt film. But uh, <laughs> at least in that film, he is being kind of told like, you know, why don't you just shut up and tell jokes like that? That's your artistic limit there. So I can I can definitely see that. And nobody's watching because this is a guy coming from a soap opera background and he's trying to get into independent cinema and he's still. Uh, basically being passed over for a bigger name in, in that world. And it was something that when I was initially thinking about this, I uh, kind of went down that rabbit hole thinking about Tropic Thunder and funny people, even Three Amigos to some degree. And then I just decided to go with something that I thought was one of your favorite films of that year so that whatever you came up with, I would have a little bit of an edge on it. Oh, I see. All right. So I, I didn't know we were, <laughs> you know, this is like prison rules, uh, already dirty pool <laughs> being played. Uh, I, I actually, you know, I, I went with a, a favorite of mine uh, from its particular year in 2001. And as I said, I was initially thinking shame. Um, but I think this one, 
uh, maybe it's not as close uh, because it's a very different age demographic we're focused on and it's a different gender. Uh, I went with uh, Ghost World. Oh, all right. Do you have a decaf mocha to go? Mm-hmm. One decaf mocha? Decaf mocha. Can I get you? No, I do not want a biscotti with that. God. How can you stand all these assholes? Some people are okay, but mostly I just feel like poisoning everybody. Well, at least the wheelchair guy is entertaining. He doesn't even need that wheelchair. He's just totally lazy. <laughs> that rules. No, it really doesn't. You'll see. I get totally sick of all the creeps and losers and weirdos. But those are our people. Yeah, well. So when are you going to get a job? Mainly what came to mind is, uh, and it, it, like I said, it's very different because this is, you know, that film is focused on a, uh, a small town and in particular this this friendship between uh, Thor Birch and Scarlett Johansson as they just leave high school. But I, I, I kept thinking of Thor Birch's character of uh, Enid uh, sort of finding herself almost the opposite of our, our character here where she yeah. doesn't quite want to leave uh, high school and and she actually likes – uh, the idea that she can still discover more about her small town. Like she, she likes knowing all the jokes. And so the unknown is what is uh, the big fear for her. And she, she's always been a fascinating character for me because she, you know, she definitely has that sort of, uh, you know, like hipster douche kind of vibe now where she, she definitely <laughs> likes to, she likes to buy things and enjoy them ironically. But I do think that it, it's, it goes a bit deeper than that, especially her, her relationship that she develops with uh, the old record collector Seymour played by Steve Buscemi. So I, like I said, I don't think it's, it's a one-to-one because I think it's, it's, you have almost the, the opposite intent from the characters, but I think the, the, the end result um, is the same at least you know with Ghost World she she does eventually uh, abandon the the known for the for the unknown so I, I don't know if that's one of your favorites I don't think we've ever discussed Ghost World we, I think we have because it was something where um, doing the War Machine show before that I went back and watched it at some so point within the last couple of years <laughs> and it, well no no it, <laughs> well we you know we can't look back at the past can we um, and so it was something where I loved that movie. As a young, you know, twenty-something, when I first saw that movie, and I thought it was fantastic. And um, going back and revisiting it, you know, on almost forty years old, I think at the time when I saw it, uh, the hipster douchey aspect of it, I just found cruel. And it you're was saying you're on- identifying more with Seymour now. I actually am on that other side of it that I felt. Yeah, I, I, I mean. I am more on the Seymour side of things now. It's just, and I always was, it's just, I kind of probably thought of myself more that way. Um, but I probably always were, was a little bit closer to Seymour. I, I was never quite as clever as those girls. See, that's interesting to me. Cause I, I saw this film, uh, came out when I was 18. Mm-hmm. And at that point, uh, I, I think I was probably a little bit down on it. It's one that I've actually come around to as, as one of my favorites of that. Like if I, you know, thankfully there was no such thing as a podcast at the time. Cause I, I probably would have been like, yeah, it was all right, I guess, uh, initially. <laughs> uh, and I, I think part of it was, I was a big fan of the Daniel Klaus, uh, graphic novel and there, sure. there is no Seymour relationship in that. So I do think that the film, uh, at least with the Enid character, she's far more self-destructive. Like the, the, the book is a little bit more fun, a little bit more light because there's not so much blood and carnage, uh, on her hands as far as really breaking a man's heart. And you can, you can, 
parry back and say like, well, you know, this, this grown man should not be dating someone who's just out of high school, especially someone <laughs> who looks like, you know, Mr. Pink. We're not going to go down the rabbit hole of whether or not Steve Buscemi's handsome again, because we, we've already covered this in detail before. I, I We have, and I, I wish I could point our dear listeners, uh, of which there are probably none right now, to – to uh to that particular one but i think it's uh new york stories whichever episode new york that stories is, yeah, is, yeah because he was the the heartthrob artist but um <laughs> i i think that i've come around to it because uh and you know i saw myself as that character for us you know i liked comic books i liked sort of weird stuff or at least i aspired to like weird things and i felt like i don't want to be any part of this enid character like i you know she's so, supposed to be someone that i I rally behind, you know, Kevin Smith has this, this great story, uh, of this, this very bigoted, uh, young gentleman who really, really did not like the reveal and chasing Amy of the Jason Lee character, uh, possibly <laughs> being by curious. I remember this, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, you know, I'm into comp books and you know, I, I, I think the line was, I wouldn't fuck, uh, Shan Doherty either. Like, <laughs> like mixing <laughs> the timelines where the Jason Lee character from all rats. And he's like, what does that say about me? And Kevin Smith yells at him. It means you're gay. And that's that I have to say, you know, I didn't have any issues with Enid's sexuality here other than her choice of male suitor and Seymour. But, I I did wonder. I was like, I don't know. That just felt like sort of a mean spirited takedown. And now I have come around to your side, but I like it more. I, I feel like I do like that the film is from an adult's perspective as opposed yeah. to it being from a teenage perspective on that sort of reckless youth and uh, reckless abandon with which you experience the world at that point. So it's interesting, like going back to the the film we're talking about today. Nobody's watching. That was something that was always in my mind, as far as as I told you, how much can we support this artist's decision? Because I think that's you mentioned top five, and I think it's in Ghost World too. You have all three characters are trying to see what their ceiling is creatively. Yeah, and there's there's only a certain limit that the characters nobody's watching will support their friend, and a lot of it has to do with their financial support and time they're having to commit to you know, allowing him access to their couch. But it, it it's weird with top five that speaks more to the fame element. And I think, I think ghost world, it speaks more to just take the safe route. Like, please just go to college, just do the art assignments you're giving and don't challenge anything. And I, I felt when I was younger than Ghost World, I, I didn't really necessarily – I thought the film's message was speaking for the adults, like it was agreeing with supporting characters. And now I see it more like – I guess you know people who are truly creative probably need to be tested. You need to see what their will is as far as if they're willing to sort of stick to their guns. And I, I feel like in Nobody's Watching, that's why I'm able to root for the character because I, I believe him. I believe him artistically that he is willing to, to sacrifice to – to see, you know, how far he can take this, this acting thing and not just be boxed in. And I think that that's why I went, ended up in the end actually gravitating towards top five is the same sort of concept with it, where this idea of this guy who has a comfortable life that he's needs to let go of because it just doesn't fit anymore. It doesn't feel right to him anymore. Um, where he could, have this wedding that would go off and it would be this huge deal. And the idea of trying to do something more dramatic, he, as he says, he just doesn't feel funny anymore. Even though throughout the film, he's constantly you know, making jokes throughout the whole thing. And he obviously has that still deeply within himself, but the comedy that he's found, it's just not expressing who he is anymore. And there's a distance between his art and who he is. 
And so the way that I think that he's trying to find that is trying to be taken seriously by doing a dramatic film that I don't even think that's necessarily what he wants to do in the end. I think he just needs to be a stand-up comedian and he needs to go back to being himself and finding a venue for that and finding an avenue for that, which goes into directly who Chris Rock was as his acting career because he's this guy that's fantastic on stage. But then the films that he's done, with the exception of Top 5 and very few others, have been pretty much misses for the most part and they've never captured that thing that's him that's so special about him and they've just been you know put in the obnoxious loud guy in the background kind of films for the most part and you you couldn't imagine that looking at his specials that some of the work that he's done he hasn't until top five he never had the you know going back to kevin smith that george carlin dogma moment where there's just that one role that for that movie's many flaws that it has i think that was a really appropriate and good film for George Carlin, not so much for uh, Chris Rock, because I think he was not able to do the, it just wasn't a lot for him to do there. And so I don't feel like he was really expressing himself in that way. Yeah. You, you get a little bit of that and, and nobody's watching. I mentioned that uh, he, he's told by this, this New York, I don't know if she's a, a manager. I, I, I couldn't quite grasp. She was what, a producer, right? I, she, she's basically God in his world. As far <laughs> as, you know, she tells him to change his hair and he, he dyes his hair and I, I was, uh, you know, talking to my wife about the film, and I was just like, "Oh, now, now he's less interesting looking," which I think is the point, right? I mm-hmm. mean, it's a, it's it's also something that is admittedly jarring because we see him for I don't know forty five minutes to an hour in the film one way, and then like it, the very next scene, it's like his hair is different, and he's still in the same place. He's still holding a baby in the park, doing his his nanny thing, but now he is he's making that attempt to to be something else. And even the casting call where he comes in and the the guy stops him because he's like, no, no, this is for a Latino (laughs) part. And he's like, you want to read for the other role? And he's like, do you even speak Spanish? And of course his line in Spanish is better than you. And it was, it was fascinating because it was like, you know, anything that makes this guy unique, we're going to stamp that out real quick. You know, that's, that's why with, with ghost world, I feel like we have a character there where it's someone who's trying so desperately to be unique, but it's like when she actually does the, like the easiest thing in her, in her art class and she just steals Seymour's like this, this old racist uh, iconography and uses it in class. Like it is about the least artistic thing she does because she doesn't really create anything, uh, mm-hmm. which actually, you know, that, that, I kind of, I mean, it would really work now because this is this is very much a time of like, <laughs> hey, do you remember this? It will, yeah. you can you can be you can write a book and get it sold, and Steven Spielberg will make it uh, as Ready Player One with all the the '80s references intact. So, Enid maybe it was on to something, but um, I I I often think that's that's about as close as these type of films can get uh, to to wrangling audiences in and treating creativity or artists as sports figures in films hmm. because even even you know in sports films it's it's very easy right they 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 win or they lose and then you get to see all the physical pain they put themselves through to and they the, the sweat and blood and injuries uh and so it feels valid in some way but the the artistic struggle i think is something that's really it's really difficult to put on film and make it interesting because even if you're someone i think like us who may give them more leeway. There's something still inside me that's, uh, you know, I don't want to go too far as far as uh, respecting the creative process to any number and any means of bullshit. Eventually I'll be like, <laughs> all right, 
get a job. Go. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> it's time to throw in the towel. Uh, and I, I think all three films that we're talking about here, and you kind of, you did cheat uh, as you admitted because you picked a film that was one of my favorites from that year. Uh, all three of them, I, I I think do put that out there in an entertaining fashion uh, without you ever disrespecting the character. Like if anything, yeah. I think that all three of the characters probably disrespect themselves more so than the audience. I think we're always on their well, side. That that's why because I think there's a humility and an embarrassment to what we see them going through and what they through their artistic process and what they're trying to do. And when you see that side and it's so vulnerable, I mean, at that point, if you're pulling against them, it's, you know, you're punching down. So you're, you're on their side. I don't think anybody's on our side though. Oh God, no. (laughs) Rightfully so. (laughs) I actually wonder if anyone's still listening even now. If they're like, Oh Jesus, this, what, what what is this film you're talking about? Uh, One of the hosts (laughs) can't even pronounce it. Chris, can you pronounce the actual title here? Uh, nobody's watching. Uh, hmm. it'll be a uh, nos mira. Yeah, can't do better than that. I'll I'll try to re-record that uh, to where you got it wrong and uh, <laughs> I got it right. But I don't even think even if you give me you know a hundred chances, I I doubt I'll have one that's as passable as that. <laughs> that's so sad. <laughs> you know the funny thing is on on the the podcast you know that we need not mention again because it's dead and gone. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did an episode with Dave where uh, uh, we were doing uh, E2 Mama Tambien, and I, that's about as that's probably the best I can do as far as saying that title. And any of the characters, they, I, like I just cannot do. I can't. I don't have the the tongue for Spanish, I guess. But then I can't remember what, if it was like a Korean film. I, I can't remember what it was, but it was something where I really should have butchered it, and I just like nailed it. And so it, it you know what it is? It's like I'm I'm the nanny that needs to learn Chinese apparently. <laughs> The thing that would seem to be much harder, uh, because you know, living in the states, uh, Spanish is by far our, our second language uh, here. I don't know. I just, I just can't get it. So I don't know. Hopefully, I, we'll have a uh, you know some uh, a Chinese film or something coming up soon, and I'll, I'll try my hand at it. That's the uh, sad state of the show because I have a Mexican wife who just endlessly teases me for the way I pronounce Mexican food. So. Yeah, that I that out of the two of us, I'm the one that has the pronunciation even slightly better. Is not boding well for us. Yeah, you certainly should have more life experience than me. Well, yeah, if it, if it's on a menu, I can probably fake pronounce it. It doesn't feel natural for me to say chorizo, but you know, it's I'm, I'm white. I say chorizo, and that's just how it is. <laughs> that was like I, I often hate. Uh, the, the sort of the, like the nerdy white voice on saying things. Cause even that, or it's like people doing like a Southern accent to me. It just kind of throws me off a little bit, but you actually <laughs> nailed it right there. Like that. I was like, Oh yeah, that's a white person's way of saying it. like, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that, but, see you, you have the, and I'll let this go after this, but you have the inverse here, which is so jarring when you have people that, um, cause we live closer to Mexico than we do to Phoenix in Tucson. So, you have a lot of people that pronounce things very Hispanic, very, very white people that never pronounce anything else with an accent. But as soon as they say guacamole, they have to say guacamole. And you're like, shut the fuck up. Oh, God, I hate liberals. I hate liberals. Stop making it. I don't want to be one of us. I don't, it's just, yeah, it's, it's that kind of stuff that's just jarring to me. So. I'm glad you, uh, you, you threw yourself in there. Like, I, I don't want to be one of us because I don't know how many, uh, conservatives are out there like after they turn off their, their rush limbaugh and they're like i wonder what this projecting <laughs> film podcast is so we are definitely appealing to the the liberals uh i assume 
who are, are downloading this uh, this episode on uh, Nobody's Watching, which uh, is not yeah, even I don't out think yet. This, I don't think this one is going to go very far with the uh, Christian right. Nobody's watching. But they, they should watch it, though, because it, it might help with some of some ideas they have, misconceptions, possibly. Yeah. Um, I think we run our best behavior, because that's as close as we came to, to talking about the, the hardcore gay sex that's in this, <laughs> which I greatly enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can just cut that whole part out. I felt good about it, not even mentioning it. Honestly. I actually think that's going to be the end, and then the music plays. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for listening to our very first recording of Projecting Film, although this may be the second episode released, and it very well could be the last time you listen to the show based on uh, based on what we produced today. I, I hope not. We have uh, We've been planning this, this show for... Uh, a couple of years now, and uh, next week we're, we're going to be discussing Easy Living, which is a film Chris and I saw back in April. Him at Tribeca and me at uh, the Nashville Film Festival. So I've been looking forward to that one. Been looking forward to producing the show, honestly, which is basically a Diet Coke version of War Machine vs. War Horse, the, the old movie podcast Chris and I did. If you're a fan of that show, I think you'll see some similarities. Uh, and if you're not a fan of that show, uh, you're one of many, I assure you. If you would like to give us some feedback uh, early on, we're, we're still sort of figuring the show out. I'm on Twitter at War Machine Horse. Chris is at following underscore films. This show is at Projecting Film. And you can find these podcasts on iTunes uh, or your pod player of choice and also followingfilms.com. Check us out there. But hopefully you'll be back next week for Easy Living. You, you were swinging for the ending there. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, I'm being set up here. Oh, this is going to feel so good. So right. <laughs> you, you call it a different name, but, I mean, essentially it's the same bullshit. It's just the only, different, the only difference is you're wearing a wig. You're still my wife, though. Yeah. I, uh, I felt good about the whole thing, Chris. Giant <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm gonna call so far away from me.